Well, howdy y'all. Welcome to episode number 48 of Once Upon a Time in Texas. Yes, sir, Bob, we are sneaking up on a full entire year of Once Upon a Time in Texas. And that just blows me away since I started this little endeavor. But here we are. So uh, Christmas was the day before yesterday. And uh, I hope all of you guys had a fantastic Christmas uh, and planning on, you know, a pretty happy new year. 2024 is shaping up to, to be a pretty good year, I think, for a lot of folks. Um, we made a trip up to Norman, Oklahoma to see my wife's aunt, uncle, and cousins and their family and, and just had an absolute ball. Um, even though I am an Oklahoma State graduate, my oldest daughter is a, a sophomore in high school and she is considering going to OU. She wants to study uh, research meteorology. And although it was like a dagger to my heart when she sat me down and told me, Dad, I want to go to OU, um, <laughs> I can't really blame her. OU does have a great meteorology school and lots of other, you know, schools right there at OU too, lots of other colleges. And uh, OU is a beautiful campus. Got to drive around, see some of it with uh, my wife's uncle and my daughter. It was good stuff. Christmas Day, we went up to Oklahoma City and saw my mom's side of the family and my dad's side of the family and some cousins and aunts and uncles and just kind of everybody and just had a great time. It was, man, it was just amazing. Cannot stress that enough. So anyway, this week kind of hit me strange, and I'll tell you how I kind of got into this, but have you heard about someone that is kind of legendary, um, and it really just kind of piques your interest in how they got to where they were, or maybe the legend about them, and so you do a little digging into their story to see if they really are as interesting as they seem, and... Uh, you know, there are two people that we're going to look at today in this podcast that are really kind of more interesting than I previously thought. And both of them are kind of well-known, but kind of always take a backseat to other historical figures. They're always kind of talked about, but they're never really at the forefront. So I think we're going to touch on them a little bit today. So before we head out onto the open plains, I want to thank our sponsors, me and like I announced last week, Victory Home Loans. I know there are tons of people out there moving to and in Texas and Oklahoma, and I know a lot of y'all do too. So let me help them out because I am an independent mortgage loan originator working with Victory Home Loans. And uh, we help people finance their dream homes here in Texas and Oklahoma and in a few other states with Victory. I'm only licensed in Texas and Oklahoma, but we have some other folks in uh, about 15 total states. So if you're looking for a home pretty much anywhere in the western United States, I got you covered. Give me a shout. Work with somebody who's at least a little fun, a little entertaining, and uh, makes that process faster, cheaper, and easier. Send them over my way to themichaelmitchell.com. That's T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. And let me help them out. Remember when you work with me, I sell dreams, 
not mortgages. <laughs> so, all right, there's my little plug. So here we go. Over Christmas, we get to talking um, with my uncles about this new series that's come out called Lawmen Bass Reeves. And a couple of my uncles just said it was fantastic and really had some interesting history that they didn't know. And uh, when I wrote this, I hadn't seen any of the series. I literally just got done watching episode number one. And so then, you know, the day after Christmas, I'm on Facebook and I'm just kind of, you know, piddling around, you know, goofing off, um, kind of taking it easy. And an article pops up about Mary Catherine Horney. And who the heck is that, you might ask? Well, she was more commonly known as Big Nose Kate, the longtime companion and common-law wife of a guy named Doc Holliday. So I did a little digging into her story, and wow, it's a, it's a pretty interesting one as well. And so... While neither Bass Reeves or Big Nose Kate were born or died in Texas, nor are either of them really famous for anything they did in Texas, but matter of fact, both are famous for things they did in other states. However, both of them did spend some time here in the great state of Texas, and I would like to take just a moment to remind everyone that this is my podcast and I do what I want. <laughs> yeah, nobody tells me what to do anyway. <laughs> but now both of these folks did spend a little time in Texas. And so it's it's a little bit of a loose noodle to get over there, you know, to where it is once upon a time in Texas. But both of these folks were once upon a time in Texas. So. Let's dive into them a little bit. So let's talk about old Bass Reeves. If you don't know who Bass Reeves is, uh, I found a lot of information on Wikipedia, which is a good site. Um, lots of information can be found. You always want to check your facts as best you can. But for the most part, Wikipedia does a pretty good job. Bass Reeves, you may not know very well, but I suspect he's going to be a little more well-known to a lot of folks because uh, Taylor Sheridan, the guy that did Yellowstone, I guess the four sixes are coming out pretty soon, you know, 1883, 1923, and I think another one's coming out. Anyway, <clears throat> he's doing this lawman, Bass Reeves, and it sounds like he's going to do some more in the future, but Reeves was a former slave who became an American lawman, and he was the first black deputy U.S. Marshal west of the Mississippi River, and he worked mostly in the Indian Territory, which is now Oklahoma. So let's get into a little bit of history about him, because I really did think this was pretty interesting, and if you're not big on history, then just turn this podcast off. So Reeves is born into slavery in Crawford County, Arkansas, way back in 1838. Reeves and his family were owned by Arkansas State Legislator William Steele Reeves. When Bass was eight, or about 1846, William Reeves, 
moves to Grayson County, Texas, near present-day Sherman, Texas, right on the border, um, in what they called the Peters Colony. So it appears that Bass Reeves was retained as a servant by William Steele Reeves' son, a guy that was Colonel George R. Reeves. He ended up being a Texas sheriff, a legislator, and a one-time speaker of the House of Representatives for Texas. So when the American Civil War breaks out, George Reeves joins the Confederate States Army. And he takes Bass with him. Now, Bass Reeves and, of course, George Reeves and William Reeves all have the same name. That happened a lot with slaves. The slaves just took their, their masters or their owners' last names. So, George joins the Confederate States Army and takes Bass with him. And it's, it's unclear how and exactly when, but sometime during the Civil, the Civil War, Bass gains his freedom. He is eventually freed, you know, fully and completely by the 13th Amendment's abolition of slavery in 1865. And so, as a freedman, Reeves returned to Arkansas and farmed near Van Buren. So, and of course, if you watch the if you watch the series, you know, it goes into some other details that obviously are played up a little bit for the cinema. Um, but it's still a good story, no matter what. So I'm not down in what Taylor Sheridan did. So if anybody out there knows Taylor Sheridan, don't don't go saying, hey, this handsome, fat, bearded dude from uh, Wichita Falls, Texas is, is dogging your stuff. I am not. Pretty much everything Taylor Sheridan does, I dig. So... He has done a good story, a good plot line so far on episode one of the Bass Reeves story. So anyway, Reeves and his family farm until about 1875 when Isaac Parker, later known as Hanging Judge Parker, which coincidentally my wife's family stories say that they are directly related, um, was appointed a federal judge for the Indian Territory which is just a little piece of real estate just north of Texas now called Oklahoma. For those of y'all that don't know that. So Parker appoints James F. Fagan as U.S. Marshal and directed him to hire 200 deputy U.S. Marshals. Fagan had heard about Bass Reeves, who knew the Indian Territory and could speak several native languages. He recruits him as a deputy, and then Reeves, who's... 37, becomes the first black deputy to serve west of the Mississippi River. Reeves was originally assigned to be a deputy U.S. Marshal for the Western District of Arkansas, which had responsibility also for the Native Reservation Territory, Oklahoma. So he serves there until 1893, and then that year he's transferred to the Eastern District of Paris, I'm sorry, Eastern District of Texas in Paris, Texas. And he's there for a short time. In 1897, he was transferred again and served at the Muscogee Federal Court in the Native Territory, presumably around Muscogee, Oklahoma. Reeves works in law enforcement for 32 years as a federal peace officer, all of it in the Indian Territory, and he became one of Hanging Judge Parker's most valuable deputies. <clears throat> Reeves brought in 
some of the most dangerous fugitives of the time, and he was never wounded despite having his hat and belt shot off on separate occasions. That's impressive. 32 years in law enforcement, has his hat blown off and his belt blown off, but other than that, no big issues. So in addition to being a marksman with a rifle and a revolver, Reeves developed a really, really good set of detective skills over his long career. He retires in 1907. Reeves has on his record thousands of arrests of felons. Some accounts claim he had over 3,000 people that he arrested. I don't know. That sure seems like a lot. And according to his obituary, he killed 14 outlaws to defend his life. Reeves even had to arrest his own son for murder. Um, His son, Benjamin Benny Reeves, was charged with murder of his wife. And despite the perpetrator being his son, Reeves nonetheless insists on the responsibility of bringing Benny to justice. Accounts of the incident report that Benny was either captured by his father or just simply turned himself in. I suspect he probably turned himself in because it sounds like Bass Reeves was kind of a quintessential badass, you know what I mean? So, Benny is eventually tried and convicted. He ends up serving 11 years at Fort Leavenworth in Kansas before his sentence was commuted, and he reportedly lived out the rest of his life as a model citizen. Probably because of the whooping that his dad threw. (laughs) I'm guessing. Here's an interesting part. Bass Reeves himself was once charged with murdering a posse cook. At his trial, before Judge Parker, so he's standing before his boss, basically, Reeves claimed to have shot the man by mistake while cleaning his gun. He was uh, represented by former U.S. State's Attorney W.H.H. Clayton, who was a colleague and friend. Bass Reeves was eventually believed and acquitted, probably due to his exceptional record at the time. So then we fast forward a few more years. Oklahoma becomes a state in 1907. And Reeves, then 68, became an officer for the Muskogee Police Department. He served for two years before he became ill and retired. Reeves' health, you know, began to fail further after retiring, and he eventually died of Bright's disease, or nephritis, um, on January 12, 1910. And so I guess that's uh, Bright's disease and nephritis, um... I'm guessing since the field of nephrology has to do with kidneys that he probably ended up with kidney failure. So in 2013, Bass Reeves was inducted into the Texas Trail of Fame, which is a Cowboy Hall of Fame in Fort Worth, kind of around the stockyards. Not to be confused with the National Cowboy Hall of Fame, which is in Oklahoma City. But this hall is in the stockyards called the Texas Trail of Fame. So the hall honors individuals who have contributed to the Western way of life. And I spent like an hour going through some of the cool folks on this list. And I got to be honest, you're probably going to hear more about the Texas Trail of Fame. (laughs) 
in in the future. So there you go. First one, Bass Reeves. What do y'all think? I know it's a pretty basic history, but I mean, the guy's born into slavery and freed. So that's kind of a big deal. Um, and then just the things that he saw and witnessed through the Civil War and then being in Arkansas and working in the Indian Territory. I mean, that just, <clears throat> what an interesting, interesting time to live. So let's hop on over and take a look at Mary Catherine Horney Cummings, also known as Big Nose Kate. So she also has a pretty interesting history. History. She was a Hungarian-born American outlaw, gambler, prostitute, and longtime companion and common-law wife of Old West gambler and gunfighter Doc Holliday. Tough, stubborn, and fearless, she was educated, but chose to work as a prostitute due to the independence it provided her. <laughs> wow. And she is the only woman with whom Holiday is known to have had a relationship. Could you imagine that? Like super well-educated and you just decide to be a prostitute. But I guess back in the Old West days, I mean, it would provide a lot of independence for the right woman, I guess. I don't know. Not advocating for it, folks. I'm just saying that's um, that she was pretty well-educated. And she becomes a prostitute. Anyway. So she's born in the Kingdom of Hungary in 1850 to a physician father and teacher mother. In 1860, Dr. Horney and his second wife, Katerina, and his children leave Hungary for the United States. They arrive in New York City on the German ship Bremen in September 1860. The Orany family settled in a predominantly German area of Davenport, Iowa in 1862. So seriously, you're in Hungary, you hop on a boat, and you settle in Iowa. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Anyway, Orany and his wife died within a month of one another in 1865. Um, I think it said they had like scarlet fever or something. I don't know. I didn't write it down. And so uh, Mary Catherine and her younger siblings were placed in the home of her brother-in-law, Gustav uh, Susamil. And in 1870, they were left in the care of attorney Otto Smith. It does not talk about why Gustav didn't keep them. I don't know. But anyway, they're left in the care of this attorney, Otto Smith. The 1870 U.S. Census records for Davenport, Iowa show Kate's younger sister, 15-year-old Wilhelmina, or Wilma for short, living with and working as a domestic for Austrian-born David Poulter and his Hungarian wife, Bettina. In 1866, at the ripe old age of 16, Kate runs away from her foster home and stows away on a riverboat bound for St. Louis, Missouri, which is kind of the gateway to the West at the time. Kate later claimed that while she lived in St. Louis, she married a dentist named Silas Melvin, with whom she had a son, and that both died of yellow fever. But none of that is ever really confirmed, and they can't really find any stuff. Really on that. And so, the other thing that's kind of interesting is everybody knows her as Big Nose Kate. 
Um, there's pictures of her online. She really doesn't have a big nose. Um, she's really actually kind of a pretty lady. And so, I, you know, I don't know. I guess nobody really knows what happened. So there's a researcher named Jan Collins states that Kate entered the Ursuline convent, but did not remain long. And in 1869, so now she's 19 years old, she is recorded as working as a prostitute for Madame Blanche Tribble, maybe Tribble A, in St. Louis. Then, so five years later, now she's 24, in 1874, Kate is fined for working as a sporting woman, <laughs> Nice word for prostitute. In a sporting house, which is also known as a brothel or whorehouse, in Dodge City, Kansas. And the sporting house was run by Nellie Bessie Ketchum Earp, James Earp's wife, and Wyatt Earp's sister-in-law. <laughs> so apparently they got to know each other at that point. So in 1876 now just 26 years old, Kate moves to, and here's the Texas connection, she moves to Fort Griffin, Texas, which is just south of Throckmorton, which is kind of south-southwest of Wichita Falls. I think it's about 70, 75 miles. She meets Doc Holliday in 1877. So she meets Doc and... Uh, Doc said at one point that he considered Kate his intellectual equal. That's nice. That's very nice. So in 1874, she's in Dodge City, Kansas. Two years later, she goes to Fort Griffin, Texas, which, which is a bit of a trip. And you go right through Oklahoma or Indian Territory. She's there for about a year. She meets Doc Holliday. And then the couple went with Wyatt Earp, apparently back to Dodge City, and they registered as Mr. and Mrs. J.H. Holliday at Deacon Cox's boarding house. Doc opens a dental practice by day, but spends most of his time gambling and drinking. Big Nose Kate and Doc Holliday fight, apparently, all the time, and sometimes pretty violently, but they always made up after the fights, you know, despite this very volatile relationship. You know, so I guess it's just a love thing. So according to Kate, the couple later married in Valdosta, Georgia. So apparently they got around. They traveled to Trinidad, Colorado, and then out to Las Vegas, New Mexico, not Nevada, where they lived for two years. Holiday worked as a dentist there by day and ran a saloon on Center Street by night. Kate also occasionally worked at a dance hall in Santa Fe, New Mexico. <clears throat> so by her own account, Doc and Kate met up again with Wyatt Earp and his brothers on their way to Arizona Territory. Virgil Earp had already been in Prescott, Arizona and persuaded his brothers to move to Tombstone. Holiday was making money at the gambling tables in Prescott. In 1880, he and Kate part ways when Kate left for Globe, Arizona, but she rejoins Holiday soon after he arrives in Tombstone. So apparently still a pretty volatile relationship, and they both just kind of come and go with the winds. Uh, 
course, we all know the stories about Tombstone and the OK Corral. And so I'm not going to go into all that detail because there's, I don't know, there's all kinds of stuff out about it. You guys know it. If you don't know the story and you don't like reading, uh, go watch the movies Tombstone and the other one, Wyatt Earp. I think they came out the same year. Um, you know, one of them is Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer. The other one is uh, Dennis Quaid as Doc Holliday and Kevin Costner as Wyatt Earp. They're both dang good movies. I think they're somewhat accurate. I mean, you know, Wyatt Earp's pretty much a badass in both, and so is Doc Holliday. And so, and pff, Val Kilmer and Dennis Quaid both as a dying Doc Holliday were just amazing. Anyway, go watch the movie if you don't feel like reading any books. <laughs> so... Now we fast forward to 1887. Kate is 37 years old now. Doc Holliday has now died, and Kate apparently decides to settle down and marries an Irish blacksmith by the name of George Cummings in Aspen, Colorado. <clears throat> so, and that's about, uh, and I guess she marries him in 1897. I'm sorry, 1890. Sorry. So... After working several mining camps throughout Colorado, they end up moving to Bisbee, Arizona. So now we floated from, you know, Iowa to St. Louis. Um, she ends up in Kansas, then down in Texas, back in Kansas, Arizona, Georgia. Like, she's all over the place. So anyway, her and Mr. Cummings moved to Bisbee, Arizona, where she briefly ran a bakery. And then she returned to Wilcox, Arizona, in Cochise County. Um, her husband, Cummings, becomes an abusive alcoholic, and they end up separating. In uh, 1900, Kate moves to uh, Dos Cabezas, or Cochise, I'm assuming Cochise County, and worked for John and uh, Lulu Rath, owners of the Cochise Hotel. Cummings, her, I guess, ex-husband at this point, later ends up committing suicide in Cortland, Arizona in 1915, but they were already separated. She had obviously moved on. So Kate is on the 1910 U.S. Census in Dos Cabezas, Arizona, as a member of the home of minor John J. Howard. When Howard died in 1930, Kate was actually the executrix of his estate. So she contacts his only daughter who lives in Tempe, Arizona, and settles out the inheritance. In 1931, the then 80-year-old Kate contacted her longtime friend, Arizona Governor George Hunt. Because why wouldn't a governor be friend with somebody like Kate? I don't know. Maybe she had kind of shaped up in her old age. And so she contacts George Hunt and applies for admittance to the Arizona Pioneers home in Prescott, Arizona. So the home had been established in 1910 by the state of Arizona for destitute and ailing miners and male pioneers of the Arizona Territory. It takes Kate six months to be admitted because the home had a requirement that residents must be U.S. citizens. And apparently there was still some question as to whether or not she was really a U.S. citizen. So, according to the 1935 Bork interview, 
Kate was owed money by the Howard estate, but the amount owed was not enough to buy firewood through the winter. As Kate had complained in her letters to the governor. So anyway, that's how she was admitted, basically. She couldn't buy enough firewood to get her through the winter. And uh, some estate owed her money. But even if she got that, she wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't make it. So she was admitted as probably the first, but at least one of the first residents of this Pioneer's home. She lived there and became an outspoken resident, of course. Sounds like she would be assisting other residents with, you know, living living comforts and stuff. Kate wrote a ton of letters to the Arizona State Legislature and then often contacted the governor when she when she was not satisfied with the Arizona State Legislature's response. Near the end of her life, a bunch of reporters tried to record Kate's life story. Um, her relationship with Doc Holliday and her time in Tombstone and all that. She only talked to Anton Mazanovich and Prescott historian A.W. Bork. So Kate dies on November 2nd, 1940, which just blows me away. Because you think about Wyatt Earp and the Old West. And, you know, of course, Wyatt Earp was around during some of the movies. Um, I think think I remember seeing something like he and John Wayne had talked about stuff. I don't know. But anyway, and so she dies five days before her 90th birthday of acute myocardial insufficiency. Basically, her heart gave out. So I just, I look at this and go, wow, she lived an interesting life for sure. And then you think, about the things that she saw. I mean, she was always kind of a sideline to history, I guess. You know, she was with the Earps when all that stuff was going on. She's with Doc Holliday. And she really just sees the taming of the Wild West. You know, the, the Native American, basically, uh, you know, it sounds terrible to say it this way, but it's kind of the way it's in the history books, you know. They get tamed. They get civilized, you know. And so a lot of the Native Americans are on reservations at that time. So there's not a lot of Indian fighting, as it were, going on anymore. Um, you know, railroads are coming into the West. The first flight of an aircraft um, with the Wright brothers, automobiles, and even World War One. What a time to be alive. I mean, my gosh. And Arizona being kind of the last one of the last Wild West places, you know, to be tamed. Just, I don't know. It just seems like she would be such an interesting person to sit and talk to. So, there you have it. Two interesting historical characters who, although they didn't live, well, I'm sorry, they weren't born or they didn't die in Texas, and they weren't famous, really for anything they did in Texas. But living in Texas did kind of change the course of their lives somewhat. Bass Reeves being in uh, Grayson County over around Sherman and then Paris through part of his life. But obviously, I mean, <clears throat> Texas was still kind of being colonized and it was still pretty wild back then. And then he, he gets hooked up as a lawman in Indian Territory. Holy crap, could you imagine... 
the stories that guy could tell. And then Big Nose Kate. Doc Holliday's, you know, wife, basically. And just everything she saw. You know? Just, man. I don't know. It would just be so cool. You know, if you had a time machine just to go back and sit and talk to some of these people. I don't know. I'll be honest. One of my my biggest hero. Everybody always says, you know, oh, if you could go back and have lunch with somebody, who would you go with? And lots of people say, you know, Jesus or Gandhi or, you know, whatever. I'm always like Teddy Roosevelt because that dude was just pff, awesome. <laughs> I would just love to hear what he has to say. Uh, I'd just be there with a the notepad being like, what'd you say again? <laughs> say that again. But man, I mean, shoot, Bass Reeves and Big Nose Kate would definitely be a close second. They would probably be in top five, I guess. So what do y'all think? Let me know what other kind of weird or off-the-wall interesting Texas history, even if it's only related a little bit. Doesn't have to be a big noodle into Texas. Just a little one. And that's good enough for me, and I hope it's good enough for y'all. But now that I am in Oklahoma as a licensed mortgage loan originator, I thought the Bass Reeves bit was a little bit interesting too. So I do want to thank our sponsors again, me and Victory Home Loans. Keep in mind, if you know someone moving to or in Texas or Oklahoma or any of the other states that I mentioned that Victory Home Loans cover, send them my way. Send them over to themichaelmitchell.com. Even if it's a state that I'm not licensed in, I can get it over to one of my partners in the state. We'll work together to make some magic happen. Remember, I sell dreams, not mortgages. I love making people laugh and smile and get into homes of their own. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast still since we're approaching a year. So let me know. Send me some messages. Uh, I mean, message me on Facebook. Um shoot me interesting stuff on the once upon a time facebook page or group um also get on check out my other stuff your bucket list uh, which my gosh the holidays have been wild and crazy but i'm hoping to do something with it pretty soon got another great friend that's doing a group called our old house restoration uh wichita falls that's my friend kim jackson get on and check that one out she's doing some cool stuff at her old house which is about a mile away um they come help me on my old house. My house will be 111 years old next year. And I think theirs is going to be 101, if I remember right. They're just like 10 or 12 years behind me. They live in a, in a way different neighborhood than I do, though. Um, so they've, they've really got a cool house, and there's lots of cool houses around them. Um, my neighborhood was more of the, the nice working class neighborhood, I guess. We've got a big, nice two-story home, but... Um, Theirs was kind of a gated community, so it's kind of cool. Anyway, I'm kind of digressing. I am looking at starting another podcast. Um, I think we're going to call it Winning Conversations with um, the guy that owns Victory Home Mortgages, Stuart Brown of Granbury, Texas. Um, He and I are going to put our heads together. Of course, it's been Christmas break. We haven't had a big chance to talk, but I'm going to be starting up another podcast with him, and I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Just basically, we're going to... We're going to talk about some mortgage stuff, how things are going, but we're also going to be talking with other people just that we know just about winning. How are they winning? How are they doing in life? Basically just positive stuff that will get you all fired up to just get out and get it done. 
You know, I heard a guy say a while back, well, I think it was Matt Ishbia, who's the president and CEO of United Wholesale Mortgages, that just said, you know, it takes what it takes. And I, I kind of like that. You know, it's like my kids ask me, how long is this going to take? I don't know. It takes what it takes. Like, we're going to get there, you know? So anyway, check those out. And uh, really, I'll just, I, I'll go ahead and end it. I could talk forever. Thank you all for tuning in to episode number 48 of Once Upon a Time in Texas. As always, remember, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week.